0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Design Driven Life, where we hope to inspire you to shift your mindset and create the world that you want to live in. Hi, I'm Wendy Yates, and today I have the incredible pleasure of speaking with Ileana Rodriguez. Ileana Rodriguez is the principal at iDesign Access and an international architectural design consultant for major infrastructure projects focusing on inclusive design. Ileana's experience comes from working for clients such as the International Paralympic Committee, national sports organizations, and various architecture firms. Ileana has been involved as a consultant to oversee different size projects from Olympic Paralympic stadiums and airports to smaller sports facilities, hotels, and temporary infrastructure. The projects have taken place in Europe, Asia, and the Americas in dozens of different countries. Welcome, Ileana, and I'm so grateful and thankful to have you here. And I'd love if we could just get started with you sharing a little bit about who you are. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. It's
1: great to be talking to you and to be part of your of your podcast. And I am very happy to be here today. And as you said, Emiliana, <laughs> I'm a Paralympic swimmer. I retired a few years ago, but I also finished my, while well, I was a swimmer, I finished my career as an architect. So today
0: I've been able to combine both of them. And that's what I do today. Amazing. So what, um, what, brought you to being a Paralympic swimmer how'd you had had that passion come about well I was a swimmer since I was a kid
1: um, I am in a wheelchair today but I was not born in a wheelchair I stopped walking when I was 13 years old and the only thing I knew that I could still do and and enjoy right when I stopped walking was the fact that I could swim. So swimming was always very close to my heart. I was born in Cuba too, right in front of the water. Wow. <laughs> so I was a very lucky child in a way because of where, um, the the place where we lived. But um, I just enjoyed going into the, into the beach every single day. And when I stopped walking, that was the thing that I could keep on doing. And nobody would, wouldn't even notice whether I could walk or not when I was in the water. So it was
0: definitely a sport that I always enjoyed. Awesome. I love swimming too. Um, and tell me a little bit what life looks like growing up in Cuba. <laughs> uh, I know I get that question a lot. It's very, I bet. Yeah, um, we're all, we're all fascinated because like, nobody can go there or hasn't been able to go there for so long.
1: Unfortunately, <laughs> um, That's such a pity because, um, and it's unfortunate that the situation that we have, the political situation that we have in Cuba. And that's the reason why you guys cannot go and Cubans cannot leave that easily. But I, I think it's a beautiful country. Uh, it's, a, it's an island, so everything around us is water. And, and the beach is amazing. And I'm from an air part of Cuba that is famous for that. So I, I really enjoyed, the, I enjoyed that. And as a kid, that, that was like the main entertainment. Uh, being in the water, I'm going around, and you really do not have uh, to worry about many things because it's such a tiny place in a way that everybody knows. I remember growing up that everybody in my neighborhood knew me because i was the granddaughter of Tete, so that meant that everybody was watching me so there was not much i could do out of my of my comfort of the comfort zone right so it was a it's a different environment to many places here in in the us but definitely like anything you know it has very positive things very negative things but it was a great childhood from what i remember for sure
0: so I wonder if you would mind sharing a little bit about what caused your inability to walk at 13 years old.
1: I was diagnosed, I was a ballet dancer uh, as well, mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed with, uh, I started losing strength in one of my legs, and I was diagnosed with a um, AVM of the spine, which is a malformation in the spinal cord. And when this develops, uh that when it developed actually is what left me paralyzed. So it was controlled uh with some treatments and stuff, but of course the injury was the left, you know, of me not being able to walk. Right. But thankfully, you know, health wise I was able to <laughs> to overcome that that part of it. But it's uh it's definitely it definitely left me with uh with the paralysis.
0: So I imagine that you would have to choose, you know, to see the disability as an opportunity or sort of be consumed by it in a negative way. Um, And at 13 years old, you must have had a foundation of support to help you have a more positive um, experience or outlook or mindset, I guess, is more what I'm trying to say with adapting to the disability. Um, What was it that gave you this Perspective of seeing it as a new challenge and using it as an opportunity.
1: I think the first, the first, a uh, uh, most important support system that I have had, and it is until today, is my family. Uh, I think that my parents were very, I always say that they're probably one of the sm- smartest people I know. <laughs> and and the reason for that is because I was never treated either by my parents or my brother and my sister and, and my close family. I was never treated um, as someone that was different. I was just another member of the family and with the same I was in trouble as my brother and sister were <laughs> and I was as good as my sister were.
0: No so, extra sympathy uh, for you.
1: <laughs> no, there was no sympathy. So I think that that helped me a lot because that brings you right to the same level with everybody else. And and I think that was the, probably a, a great thing for me. Also, I had a very important um, support at my physical therapy. When I did physical therapy, I had one therapist that was... Uh, very important for me at that time. And and he also helped me to really see it as a, that my life didn't end there. It was someone that really pushed for that. And then when I moved to the United States, I think that when it really like opened for me, because in Cuba, accessibility is zero. Uh, going to school is a huge challenge for a kid at that age, or at any age with a disability, actually going to school is a huge challenge. But when I arrived in the United States, I discovered that I could go to high school with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was just another kid in high school trying to survive. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that definitely, I think, is the probably like the what really proved to me that I could do whatever I wanted.
0: Amazing. I think it's incredible. Um, and you know, a big shout out to your family for being so supportive because it's so important. And so often that the part of inclusion for disability, you know, starts with that mindset and that set a foundation for you by the initial family you have. And so it's so incredible that um, you had such an amazing family um, to help propel you to do all the great things and um, use uh, your disability as a benefit and an opportunity for others. So Um, Tell me a little bit about your purpose with um, everything that you're doing and how you transitioned from being an Olympics, Paralympic swimmer to being an architect, because I am in the world of design. I am actually founded um, or started my journey in my entrepreneurial life as interior design. So I'd love to hear how um, that came into your life. Well, it was uh, in high school when I moved to the United States, I started swimming
1: with the high school team and I had this weird dream when I was there because a coach came to me to talk to me about the Paralympics. Uh, It was uh, someone that was not even related to the high school. It was a private team in the same pool and he just came to talk to me about the Paralympics and how he thought I had a chance and I'm like, this guy's crazy, like... (laughs) Forget it. Even though I sounded like a great idea, I was not even a citizen of the United States to be able to represent the U.S. I was uh, going to start college where I needed to financially was a huge problem because my family, you know, I had to win scholarships to be able to go to college. So my focus was in school. And so I was like, no, forget it. I cannot do that. But a few years later, the... The conversation began again by with my family and with friends and like whether I should try to pursue this or not. And then it was to a year and a half to Beijing. And I went back to that coach. He was he was swimming at the exact same pool and everything. And I went back to him <laughs> and I was like, Do you think that you could coach me? <laughs> I'm ready now. I, I already took a, I was in my third year of college. So I really, I felt like I had everything controlled school wise that I could take the risk, uh, of training. And I went back and I started swimming with him and that's when I made it to trials for the Beijing games, but I didn't make it to the, I didn't make the Beijing team for the U S. So I went back to him and told him that he had to put up with me for a few more years because we were going to London. (laughs) So that allowed me to finish my architecture, my bachelor's, and then start my master's at the same time I
0: was training for London. That's incredible. Um, What drove you to studying architecture? Well,
1: I come from a family of engineers, architects, so I kind of grew up in that environment, although I think that after I stopped walking, I realized that I had a, a view on the build environment that not everybody had. And I, le- and I started to learn so much and I started hating the fact that I had to go a different route, that I was treated differently. Just because somebody didn't think well enough to resolve the design or find a design solution that could work for all the different bodies that we have. So I think that that was the first thing that really like caught me into it.
0: And I went for it. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. You know, people take for granted their... The privileges they have every day just to see, hear, touch, walk, you know, that so many other people don't because it's not obvious to them or they're not around it. And then that sort of starts that whole exclusion process where some people can do things and some people can't because of access. So um, another just great example of how you um, just have created opportunity um in mindset of, of the, of the things you've had to overcome. So what were some of the challenges, or I guess the question maybe that I'm curious about is because I don't know anything. I, I'm not athletic at all and I've never been in any Olympic sport or, you know what I mean? Anything. So what were some of the challenges just, you know um, as a girl from Cuba in the U S you know, competing on such a high profile or high scene, you know, platform, what was that like?
1: Well, I think that for me, the first, I remember the first competition I went to, I was very naive, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I show up and I was, I didn't even, I think I didn't even know what half of the papers that were hanging on the walls meant. And my name was everywhere. <laughs> I didn't, I'm, like, I'm like, are they told me to swim as fast as you can on the 50. <laughs> like, why are you giving me all this information now, right? So for me, that was a bit uh, challenging at the beginning to understand this very sophisticated system that you have in the background of results of like where you're standing, where you, uh, and I came from a very different reality, right? Uh, So for me, that was a huge challenge. The English as well. Back then I didn't, uh, my English was, was okay, but it was not at the level that it is today for sure. And this definitely brings a whole different level of uh, complexity to many things. I think it helps sometimes, to be honest, because mm-hmm. you don't understand how the stuff, so you're good. But uh, also culturally, definitely was a, for me, was a very good learning curve in a way, because Miami is an extension of Cuba. You know, mm-hmm. when you jump into the USA team and, or you live in Colorado like I did for three year, for yeah, three years before going to the London Games, this definitely opened my my eyes to a new world in the in the US and living in the in Colorado Springs I was the only in our team I was the only latin girl definitely the only one born <laughs> latin girl as well so it was it was a uh, it was interesting and I think it was good too for my for my peers as well you know because this was like I was like a new thing for them too So we, it was, it was good. It was a, it was a lot of learning for sure. I'm missing the Cuban food. that
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Um, We don't have a big Cuban cuisine in the States. Nothing good that I can, or a place that I've been, maybe there's a little bit more now in Miami, maybe more restaurants that offer more authentic Cuban cuisine. So just to backtrack a little bit, what brought you to the U.S. How did you make that decision? How did you get that access to start coming to school in the United States?
1: Well, I was um, I came to the United States because when I stopped walking, my treatments, what I had was so complex that in Cuba, there was no way to treat it back then. Um, So my family had to find other ways of basically saving my life. Um, so I would go to Mexico where they treat me and they resolve the issue, but the, my parents still wanted to see other doctors and find other opinions outside of Cuba. So we came on outside of Mexico. So we came to the United States with the visa to go to the doctor. And also my family decides to stay in the United in the United States, because there was not. You know, there's no there was no other way for us mm-hmm. to to survive in Cuba, really. And and we ended up like many Cubans uh, staying, you know, as a nice asylees here in the United States.
0: So with your transition. Um, so once you were done on the London team, um, what was what was what was the result? Did you guys win? Uh, no, I didn't win. I didn't win first place. I came
1: in uh, seven in the 100-meter breaststroke. But, yeah.
0: so That's it amazing.
1: Was, uh, it was. I mean, I honestly, I am very happy with the
0: results because I think… I call me- that winning. I mean, I guess winning to me is like <laughs> you did something that, like… It's such a small percentage that anyone can possibly do. So I would think that's winning. So I shouldn't have asked it that way. I guess I should have said, where did you place? Because you totally win in my mind.
1: No, certainly. No, no. And there is clearly three winners. I have no problem with that either. But (laughs) uh, and I think it's wonderful. But uh, as an athlete, I think I gave everything I had, you know. So uh, when you do that, you never have regrets, usually with anything that you do. Right.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
1: So, So I was very happy with that.
0: So that's amazing. You're amazing. Um, I just love, I know that your, your family set up this mindset for you, but your spirit just comes across just in your voice and in looking. I know I get to see you. Our listeners won't be able to see you, but um, it's just so beautiful. And so I just love the success that you're having and the opportunity by sharing the story that you're giving to other people to think that way and to use challenges that come um, to their life, whether, whether it be where you're born, physical challenges, you know what I mean, um, learning curve challenges, and you're using it to create such a better place and space in the world by being involved in the world of design and architecture and um, offering that inclusion to others that might have disabilities like yourself. So what are some of the projects in your architectural world that have been the most, your, like the, the best, most rewarding ones? <laughs>
1: I think, um, there is one very close to my heart and it was probably what got me to where I am today actually. And it was a project in Kazakhstan. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kazakhstan before, Mm -hmm. but it's very far from us. Yes. Um, And the reason why I find it very interesting is because culturally we are like a completely opposite worlds and in the mindset of disabilities is also like completely opposite. I always say that here in the United States, we're extremely lucky to have the ADA to, you know, to support yeah. all of the, of the people with disabilities and also having the, the guidelines of the ADA for the built environment that definitely uh, are enforced for people to sometimes not in the right way. Sometimes we always find a lot of people criticizing it But I think it's an amazing, it's something that we should be very grateful to have. And then you have places where nothing is there. And even the building codes that they have today allow for even like worse things to happen in terms of of accessibility. So this project, they needed to make an accessible center for the athletes of Kazakhstan, Paralympic athletes. And they called me to support the architect of the building as a consultant to be able to make the building fully accessible and make it work for the game for, for them to train. And it was one of the very first fully accessible buildings in the country. Wow. So certainly this was an amazing um, accomplishment for them. And probably for my career, it was a huge thing because seeing this moment, I was able to go back and see it already open and functioning. And this was, it was amazing.
0: One of the things I wanted to ask about is I feel like you um, are such a great fit for our audience as an entrepreneur and an overcomer and someone who's living a life and um, creating a company that is doing good for the world. And um, I think with that, we talk a lot here about mindset and purpose. And so I'd love to hear your perspective. Also, some tools that help you find and follow and stay on track.
1: Yeah, I think... For me, the purpose I have, I I never I always liked this uh, path of accessibility and I always thought that I had a different point of view, but sometimes the work that you're able to get when you graduate, for example, <laughs> don't necessarily mm-hmm. uh, fits your purpose. And yeah. for me, now looking back, I was a little lost, just like you described when I started on my previous job. And I think I never found like true love for what I was doing until I started to do some moonlighting for this other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I realized like, I don't mind working so hard to make these other things happen mm-hmm. where, and, and I think what we really have to always stay focused is that when you find something that you have a purpose for things, things would go well. Even if you're making less money, <laughs> it would be naive for me to say that money is not important. I think that we all need to, to live, Right. But I think that having having a purpose will bring this other stuff as a default. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And if it doesn't bring it as a default, you learn to live with less. <laughs> and uh, and you're happy. At least that, that has been my experience and in terms of staying focused and 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 you know and in terms of always trying to go back to that purpose i think it's something that you have to have in your in the back of your mind i always say that i have this big picture of what i would love but there always have to be these three next steps that i need to take to make it happen whether it is answering the email to that you don't want to answer that day, <laughs> whether it is that report that you you don't feel like writing because it's not always fun, even though that's your your passion. Sometimes some of the of the work that you have to do is not so exciting. But always keep in mind that big picture that you have in your in your mind, and that would keep you,
0: keep you passionate about what you do. You're right. It's a ne- it's a necessary thing that we need. For this, for this world and in this life. But if it's not your focus, it just, it just happens. You just have what you need. You're so it's, you know, that's such a great nugget to share is just stay focused on your purpose and really what you need comes and whatever you want to create and grow, you'll get the funds you need to do that.
1: Yeah, and I think also it's valid. Like there is people that the purpose is money, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when they stay focused on that. In my case, I cannot say the same. I'm not saying it's right, it's wrong. I'm not here mm-hmm. to judge that. But in my case, I think it's, uh, it's not definitely my my main focus. Yeah. And it has brought me great joy what I'm doing. And that, that I'm happy with. That's what really fulfills me. And I think that, that everybody should find what really fulfills them. I we wouldn't let would
0: people worry about the wrong things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think we're both saying the exact same thing, but I totally, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that you, that you definitely have shared a lot that could inspire another little girl, not just from Cuba, but from anywhere in the world. Um, and I would love to, as we kind of wrap up from... Um, our conversation because we just want to kind of give a quick insight um, and then we'll share how people can find out more about you. Um, what would you say to your younger self or to, again, just any other um, young girl out there, 13 year old girl, any age really, um, about what's in store for you?
1: I think that for any, any, any girl, And for myself, even is that (laughs) never stop dreaming, never, Mm -hmm. and never let anybody tell you that you cannot achieve a dream because this is not, is not true. I think, I think we all are, have the same opportunity to be, and be, we are all capable of achieving whatever we want. Um, just by the fact that we're just humans, right? So I don't I think it. that someone too important uh, <laughs> is true. Some people are more famous than others, but I'm not talking about fame. I'm talking about true dreams. And and I think that kids should should be allowed to do that. And I think us as adults should help them out to believe on them and really make it happen. That At least beautiful. I had that
0: in my life, so. yes. <laughs> You were very fortunate and that was so beautiful, actually made me tear up a little bit. (laughs) So I think with that, that's a beautiful message to share and end on. And I've really enjoyed this time to just know that you exist in the world and to um, get to learn about you. So thank you for being open and available and sharing with us today. No, thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Okay. Have an amazing rest of your day. And I look forward to following your career and your life and um, seeing you again in the near future. Thank you so much. (laughs) And best to you as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and review it. See you soon. I am thoroughly loving our platform for our podcast, Buzzsprout. So if you are considering, and you should, starting a podcast, it's so fun. It's a great way to connect with people. It's not hard when you have the right partners. If you're looking for a place to host your own podcast, join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get your message out to the world. Start for free and receive a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up.